Hello and welcome in. I am Greg Smith, Senior Recruiting Analyst here at Inside Nebraska, and I am joined today for this video by staff writer, also of Inside Nebraska, Steve Mark. And today we are going to do a fall camp review slash season preview as Nebraska gets ready to kick off the 2022 season here in just a few days over in Dublin, Ireland against Northwestern. Steve, first things first, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm ready for some actual football and, and less uh, talking about the potential of football being played. So <laughs> I think I think the fan base greatly needs a, a real football game to watch and, and talk about instead of talking about a theoretical football game. So, yeah, it's so weird because on, on one hand, like I even forgot. Think about it this way. We could have an extra week of this right now technically they would have <laughs> they probably would have started a week later i guess yeah. uh but technically we could we could have one more week of talking season um but it actually it felt like everything will kind of had a nice bow put on it um by us kicking off northwestern week with press conferences on a, on a weird sunday press conference day normally mm -hmm. those days are on those are on monday uh when we get to kind of kick off the week for each particular um game um but it, it's been an interesting roller coaster um through fall camp as we're leading up up to this season as we kind of thought maybe it would be given how important um, this season is going to be for Nebraska football and Scott Frost tenure um, that kind of goes without being said uh, but first things first I want to back up a little bit and talk through some fall camp storylines um, as we put a bow on what happened with fall camp before we kick it forward and look to the season so I guess Steve I guess the first place that I want to start with you here is I guess what was uh, what were, was a big thing to you that stood out about fall camp this year uh, I to me it was the offensive play calling and the dynamic between head coach Scott Frost and his first year offensive coordinator Mark Whipple uh, first year over in Lincoln coming from Pittsburgh everybody knows about Kenny Whippet Jordan uh, uh, Kenny Pickett not Whippet Kenny Pickett Jordan Addison and the high flying offense um, pass first offense that the Pitt Panthers had. Um, how that was going to translate to Nebraska, I guess that's that that was the biggest storyline to me, and and specifically who was going to be calling plays. Um, it was a big talking point in Big Ten media days. Uh, Scott said that it was going to be a collaborative effort and it was going to be a fun collaboration um, specifically, and he didn't really answer who was gonna who's gonna um, be calling the plays. Um, but that's kind of his style. He wasn't ever going to come out and say yes or no. So, um, but then he kind of backtracked a little bit um, during a local press conference and said that, you know, it's Whip's offense. He's going to be running it. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of the biggest storyline that that comes to mind for me. It's just, you know, it's going to be uh, Mark Whipple's offense and he's going to be calling the plays on Saturdays. Um, that does not mean everything was Whipple's um, installation, at least not to me. I think it was it was truly a collaboration with Scott and Mark Whipple in the offseason during the installation process during practice. Um, those two offensive minds kind of meshed together and, and hopefully they're on the same page about what they want the offense to look like and uh, during games. But specifically on Saturdays, yeah, it's going to be uh, Mark Whipple calling the calling the play. So that was kind of the biggest uh, storyline at least to me. Yeah, and I think that that I do think that that is a big one because it goes along with what what to me as well, and I agree was an overall theme or has been really a building overall theme since the moment Scott Frost made the decision to let go of those assistant coaches last year and what then began kind of this search 
for the new assistant coaches. And once they got the guys that they got, in which especially three of them um, in Whipple, Joseph, and Applewhite have ha all had success at, at previous stops, all are experienced um, football coaches, is this idea of Scott Frost either letting go of some control over the offense or at least, at the very least, letting other people have a bigger voice in what was being what is going to be the offensive game plan or the offensive offensive decision making because i i do tend to think that it there's more of a fine line there it's a little bit more nuanced than just saying like blanket statement scott frost is not going to have any control and he's just going to be the ceo versus he still has his hands in everything i do think that there's a little bit of gray area when it comes to that, which is probably the way that it, it actually should be. I know that, you know, Frost can be a lightning rod around the country and for a variety of reasons, many of them, you know, his own doing, right? And you're never going to get me to not admit that. Like that is our absolute truth. Um, and a lot of that stuff he brings on himself, i.e. pute gate. But I do think that one thing that we could we should be able to agree on is Frost does have a good offensive mind, right? Like th there's a reason why that fueled his ascension in the coaching ranks. And I don't think that offensive game plans uh, on the whole, there's been a couple that you could nitpick with. I forget the one was it the Illinois one at home where the game it was windy and they threw the ball all over the place with Luke McCaffrey. That one, yes, I, I hear you guys, you know, yelling at me about that. But on average, those game plans and the play calling have not been the issue. Um, it's actually been to me more attention to detail and preparation through the week, which maybe Scott, what maybe this can benefit or help the program is, is Frost being able to trust some of these other nuances to other people, these other coaches can help him have his hands in those little details to help then propel the program forward. Because I think that has been outside of maybe special teams which we'll touch on later has been the biggest thing that has held this program back. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the X's and O's piece, I think Scott is still one of the best, one of the best guys drawing up the X's and O's and, and getting playmakers open. The one that comes to mind is that Wisconsin game last year. Um, the first half, they were just letting it rip and just carving up a really, really good Wisconsin defense. And I remember being there in Madison, just like looking over um, and I'm like, wow, they are just like carving up this extremely good Wisconsin Badger defense. And, and, and yeah, it just kind of makes you remember that. Yeah. Scott Frost is, he can draw them up, right? He can, he knows how to get guys open. The issue is, can he, can he coach up his players to execute what he wants them to do? Right. Um, and just for, for the past four years, it's been good and bad, honestly. So uh, yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. Scott Frost can, can draw up the X's and O's and, and create uh, plans, um, game plans that that get people open. I've, I've um, you know, he just can do a really good job of that. Yeah, absolutely. Michigan, another one that, that comes to yeah. mind, right? The sequencing yeah. in that one. And that actually, even though it was a loss, if you remember after that game, he said that was the most fun he's had coaching uh, maybe at Nebraska. Um, and so that's another example. But the other thing that kind of sticks out to me um, when we're talking about fall camp storylines is something we, we I barely touched on it um, a little bit ago. And that's really integrating all of the new pieces, right, that have come into this program. So I, I talked about the new coaches and Frost's ability to either trust them or not and how that is, is part of the storyline of this camp and really this season um but then also along with that is integrating all of these new players right so you have you know 15 division one transfers you've got all of the new freshmen coming in you've got a couple of juco guys you've got guys that just got here not that long ago and, and Devin drew like how do you mesh all of those things together on the fly 
in a very important season. Like I, I, it, it ratchets up the, pre- the pressure when you know that you have to bring in all of these new guys. We could look out there on Saturday and you could have a brand new starting quarterback, a new starting running back, a new top wide receiver, you're going to have a new center, right? <laughs> because they're going to have that. And I think that that gets overlooked. We have to continue to put that uh, into the discussion. Um, the specialist, you're going to have a new kicker and a new punter, both transferring in. And then you've got a bevy of new pieces on the defense, right? And this is a program that we talked about the details escaping them. This is part of that, right? Being able to do these things on the fly has not been the calling card um, of this program so far in the Scott Frost. So how do they make Make that work um, once actual games start going. Um, but we've seen kind of the talk about it during the during fall camp, and it has been a big thing that's come up repeatedly in fall camp about integrating those new guys and like how well those guys have done coming into the program. Uh, but we got to see it when games start. Yeah, 33 new faces, like you said, 15 Division One transfers, 15 true freshmen, three junior college additions. All the new, all those new pieces, a lot of them are going to have be playing big roles, um, starting in some cases. And on top of that, all the new assistant coaches. And then on top of that, in the back of everybody's mind is a restructured contract with Scott Frost. He goes from $5 million to $4 million for this year. Um, but the big one is the buyout. The buyout was, and it currently is, $15 million, but it's going to drop to $7.5, a more manageable $7.5 million on October 1st, which happens to be the... Uh, the day of the um, Indiana game. So very, very important to get off to a good start and kind of show that the program is heading somewhere and improving and improving on the field and off the field. And that Scott Frost is kind of improving as a head coach too um, and showing maturity and maturity can be, you know, taking a step back and being more of an overseeing um, guy, um, just kind of with more, I guess, influence with all areas of the team, not just on, not just on offense. I know Eric Shenander has things rolling um, on, on the defensive side, and I think he's good to go there. And it'll be interesting to see how he kind of um, takes all of those pieces that, that were, that were, that had big roles last year. Those guys are gone. New faces come in and and what's that going to look like? But I think Eric Shenander is a really good um, defensive coordinator. And a lot of, a lot of programs would love to have a guy like Eric Shenander, I think. So um, I think the defense is going to be solid again, but yeah, it's just the offense offensive side of the ball has a lot more new faces and offensive line. We can touch on that with the first year power five head coach doing it for the first time himself and Donovan Riella. Um, he's, he's got a lot, he's got a huge job ahead of him because if he can, if he can get the offensive line to be at least average, that's going to help Casey Thompson, um, you know, do, do things in the pass game. It's going to help the pass game and the run game. If they could just get to be average. Um, but right now, it, I, I just don't see a lot of, I guess, confidence that that's going to happen, but that's why they play the game. That's why they, they, they're going to play the games and and they can prove me wrong by going out there and, and being a good unit. But yeah, the offensive line is going to be one of the bigger storylines. Um, especially earlier in the year. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess this kind of leads us perfectly into kind of our season preview discussion here, as I think that you can't really talk about the season without talking about what you just mentioned, which is Scott Frost's job status is is going to be the talk of everything going into this season, right? And I think that as much, you know, kind of leash as he's gotten to start this thing up and to really kind of rebuild the program, um, you're only going to get so much, right? Even if you are Scott Frost, who's won a national championship and is from um, the state of Nebraska, like you're not going to get 
a year after this if you miss another bowl game. It's just not going to happen. You cannot do that, right? And so I think that the dominant storyline for me as we think about this season is Scott Frost and how he handles everything and his overall job status, which leads me to a question and I'm going to ask you here on the fly that I was actually asked this on the radio yesterday, and it was actually before we saw that that funny video is, do you think that Scott Frost on a scale of one to 10, how much do you think Scott Frost feels the pressure right now surrounding his job? So I think Scott Frost is an incredibly confident guy. Um, I mean, we've seen that every single press conference. Um, he's a just just confident, but um, I mean, I don't, I don't know how you, how you can't have that in the back of your mind, I guess, uh, when, when he's in the position that he's in, you know, fifth year, he understands the pressure that's on him. Um, you know, no bowl appearances, a bad overall record, a, a bad record against big 10 teams. He hasn't beat Wisconsin. He hasn't beat Iowa, Minnesota, PJ Flack has had his number. Um, and you know, Husker fans really don't like that because they really don't <laughs> like a guy like PJ Flex. So uh, they they they're they're just there's a yearning for imp improvement and just winning football games and he hasn't delivered that and I think that's going to be hard to to not think about so yeah I think that you know even for a supremely uber confident guy like Scott Frost it's it's always going to be in the back of his head and that's why you know with the schedule that that kind of looks good to start but ends nasty and that look at that November schedule it's tough. It's going to be brutal in November. Um, if they get off to a good start, that's cool. But I think everybody's going to be looking at that November stretch and how they do against the big three of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. I know Michigan's thrown in there too, but the Big Ten West teams that that you're going to be playing every year, um, it's going to matter how they do against that th those big three in November. Um, you can start out six and zero, five and one, whatever at the beginning of the year, but it's how they finish 2022 um, is, is going to be a big deal. I would actually, and I, I, this may be the first time I say this on today's uh, show, I, I'm going to slightly disagree with you. I do. Listen, it does matter, of course, what happens <laughs> at the end of the year. I will say that right up front. They've got to be able to get, like, be able to be competitive or beat a couple of those big-time division opponents. But yeah. on the other hand, Nebraska starting off, you know, five and one, four and two, even to start the season, like that would represent significant growth over what mm -hmm. they've done here in the past under Scott Frost. I think that we, and this isn't a, like a, a thing against you. I think that we as a collective mm -hmm. have got to like, it's not that Nebraska has to get over the hump. Nebraska has to get to the hump. Nebraska yeah. has been, it's been a bad program so far under Scott Frost, like getting to that point where they're beating the teams that they're supposed to beat. And to be honest, these, what, first three opponents or four of the first five, whatever it is, like those are the teams that you have to be able to beat if you're a program that's going to approach being back on the rise or where they want to be, which is a perennial bowl team and then a team that can contend for the Big Ten West. So I do think, I think it needs to start before that. Obviously it starts with the Northwestern game and they've got to win that game. And it's definitely a game that they should win. I mean, the Vegas odds will tell you that they're still a double digit favorite um, as of the time that we're recording this. Um, and I anticipate that to hold um, as we get to the game. But yeah, I don't think that they're in position to be looking ahead to what happens at the end of the year 
year and like, oh, only that matters. I think it matters if they can beat teams like Georgia Southern and dominate against teams like that. Like, remember, last year when they played Buffalo. Buffalo. Like, Buffalo hung with them. That Buffalo game will always stick in my mind yeah. because they could not go out there and just run the ball right at Buffalo. That always sticks yeah. with me. So, no, I think they need to be able to beat who they should beat or at least who we think they should beat, um, and then kind of move from there and then hopefully set up a situation where you've got a huge showdown at home against Oklahoma for what, big noon kickoff? Is that what it is? It is yeah. um, where you set that up and you kind of see where the chips fall after that game. Um, but it's it's why the, the way the structure of the schedule is, is why this season, another reason why the season is so fascinating, because they could get some confidence early on yeah. if things go well, and then all bets are off because you never know. Sometimes you're like, oh, that stretch of the schedule is going to be really difficult, and then you look up and, you know, either through injuries or just teams underperforming, those teams might not be as good when you end up facing them. So it'll, that that part of it um, will be really interesting. But another thing that I, I find fascinating about this season um, is the defense, right? I feel like we spend already a lot of time talking about the offense. And rightfully so. And that's where a lot of the discussion, I think, has been this offseason about the team. But I think the defense, in a way that ha it, it makes me excited to see what they're going to do this coming season, because I, I feel like they're in this weird position where I think the defense could actually be more explosive and generate more sacks and more takeaways. Uh, because I do, I, I agree with Scott Frost. I agree with Garrett Nelson. The edge position is as good as it's been um, while those guys have been here. I really like the pieces that they have in the secondary, even though they're kind of inexperienced together like we've got to see them go out there and perform together and kind of gel and I think them get that's where getting through this early part of the season can really help units like that right with their confidence um, but I think that that group has the potential to be salty when it comes to creating explosive plays um, it's just that run defense is where we've got to see how that ends up sure enough. Yeah, everybody has fun thinking of ways to get O'Shawn Mathis, Caleb Tanner, and Garrett Nelson on the field at the same time uh, go run after the quarterback. It's 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 all fun to think about. But before they can earn the right to do that, like Sh uh, Eric Shenander likes to say, they need to stop the run. And boy, I, I know you agree with me what Northwestern's game plan is probably going to be. <laughs> they're going to look at O'Shawn Mathis and they're like, okay, cool. You might be able to sack Ryan Helensky, but what if Ryan Helensky hands off to Evan Hall and they're running power right at you? Is, is O'Shawn Mathis going to stand up, hold his ground, put his shoulder into a, a pulling guard? And how's he going to react to that? So I, I'm I'm just really interested to see um, how those guys stand up against the the run. They did it. They did a really good job of that against Northwestern last year. Um, but a lot of those guys on the defensive uh, front of Nebraska are gone, and it's guys like Ty Robinson, Colton Feast, uh, Stephon Wynn Jr. We'll see what Devin Drew how many snaps he'll get. Um, Eric Schneider says he will get some. We don't know how many. Um, and of course, Nash Hutmacher, um, everybody's favorite polar bear. So those guys are going to be really, really important to the interior of that defensive line and the run defense. And if they could do their job, they have two excellent middle linebackers behind them that are going to rack up all the tackles in the world. And if they can just sturdy up that run defense, I think you're going to see a better a pass rushing effort that's going to generate more than 20 sacks from that that, that were uh, generated from last year. Yeah, I think that if you if you're like thinking about Nebraska's rush defense when it, as it relates to the Big Ten this year, like if they're middle of the pack 
I, I think that's a huge win. Like honestly, like with, with with where they are right now and the unknowns um, on that defensive line and just the lack of depth. And I think that to me, that's the biggest. That's one of the bigger concerns going into this season, especially given the conference that they play in and the division that they play in, is Nebraska's ability to hold up on that defensive front. Um, with the depth on the defensive line. And we just don't know. We we really just don't know about where they are um, with that. But one of the things we also just don't know is the offense, right? Like back to the offense real quick. There's so many unknowns in yeah. trying to project what happens in the offense. I mentioned earlier how, you know, you can have a new starting quarterback, running back and top wide receiver. And at least if you do, and even if Anthony Grant doesn't start, like in Gabe Urban starts, there's going to be a, a significant rotation. They're both going to play. Yeah. Um, even a guy, even a guy that we just assume that he's plug and play. And, and I think he will be. And Travis Vokalek has not mm-hmm. been in kind of this leading role, yeah. you know, going into a season. And so when you have that, all the new offensive pieces or all the new offensive coaches and try to bring all of that together. Plus, Oh, by the way, and I'm surprised that we've gone however long we've been recording without like really digging into the offensive line. (laughs) You've got the offensive line that has a lot of question marks surrounding it at this point too. Trent Hickson has some left guard starts under his belt from 2019, but he's a center now. Uh, Brock Bando hasn't had a lot of starting experience. I know he played he played some late last season um, at tackle, I believe. He's a he's a right guard now. He's probably going to be out there right guard. Um, Turner Corcoran, left tackle last year, right tackle last year. He's the left guard now, likely. Um, and then on the edges, Teddy Brahaska coming off that brutal knee injury. Is he going to be able to sh- shake the rust off? I, I don't know. Is he going to be able to play the entire game? I don't know. Does the staff even, does the medical staff even want him to play the entire game? I don't know. What's his conditioning going to be like Bryce Benhart. We, everybody knows what it looked like last year. It wasn't, it wasn't good. Um, does a guy like Donovan Riola and, and his way of doing things kind of mesh with, with Bryce and help him out. I don't know. There <laughs> there's like five, I don't know as long that <laughs> offensive line right now. Um, what what can the two transfers give, if anything? I think Kevin Williams Jr. is going to be a pretty pretty heavy rotation guy, maybe. I think he's going to get a chance, and maybe by – I don't expect him to start, but I think maybe some sometime during the year he might get a shot. Um, same with Hunter Anthony. I think Hunter Anthony could be a, a solid backup, but it's a backup. So, um, yeah, I mean – with Nuredin Nueli kind of missing the season, that's a that was a big blow that I think a lot of people already like forgot about because um, it happened a while ago. But he was slated to be the the starting left guard, um, but he's not out there because he failed a uh, drug test. So um, yeah, I mean it. And then on top of that, like we mentioned before, Donovan Ryla, and it, it's his first year, his first his first gig where he's 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 the offensive line coach for a Power Five offensive line group. So. Yeah, there's just a ton of unknowns, a ton. And it doesn't look good right now. But like I mentioned earlier, they can prove us wrong real quick by coming out and, and looking good against Northwestern. So I'm curious on your thoughts about the offensive line. Yeah, it's one of those things where, I mean, I think that the I don't know is the best way to describe it. Because even as you go through that, it is one of those. It's it's a tricky thing with the offensive line or just kind of a weird thing, right, where the, they're not actually young. 
So it's not like, oh, this it's this young group of guys that are going out there. Like, these are a lot of grown men on that offensive line, like multi-year yeah. players that have been in a, you know, Zach Duvall-led strength conditioning program for, you know, multiple years, right? So this isn't, it's not a case where you've got like freshmen going out there. Two six-year seniors in, in Hickson and Brock Bando. And that's good to have old guys up there. I've, I've and you, preached yeah. this before. It's better to be old up front than young. I mean, these are not like Trent Hickson and Brock Bando are not teenagers. So it's really good to have them out there. There is, I don't want to say old man strength because they're not old, but uh, <laughs> right. they're not old in, in the way I'm viewing old, but six year seniors is, is good to have up there. Yeah. And so, and even a guy like Bryce Benhart, you forget that he's been, this is what his, is this his fourth year? Fourth? Yeah, yeah. In the program. Like, so like guys that have been here for, I mean, you know, uh, Turner Corcoran is third year in the program. It's a little different with him because he's battled so many injuries that it's kind of stunted his, like probably stunted his physical development. Right. Um, and mm. he'd be better if, you know, you get him a full off season uh, in year consecutively where he can strength train, but yeah, we're not talking about young guys. We're just talking about inexperienced guys, especially as you said, now that is a really good point, especially at their positions. Because mm-hmm. isn't is Bryce Benhart is the only guy that played the position that he's playing this year last year, right? Teddy Prosca <laughs> played, played for like a that was only like a game and a quarter, a game and a half, whatever. Like that uh, that doesn't fully count. It counts, but it doesn't. Like really, Bryce Benhart is the guy is the only one. Yep. And so when you think about it that way, it's not only you have a mix of guys that don't have a lot of game experience, but are also moving different positions. While also dealing with this thing, and and this can end up being a good situation where, you know, they've talked a lot about moving guys around and finding the best five, and that's become like this weird buzzword or buzz phrase, right? Um, I'm always kind of questioning whether or not that's the the best thing um, to have guys do, because I just don't, I just, I'm just going to say it. I think unless you have a superstar, you need to stick him in a spot and then let him develop. I know these guys know more than I do about football and coaching, but it just, to me, the proof has been kind of in the pudding on that, um, particularly on the offensive line uh, when it comes to Nebraska. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I have my, my mini side rant there uh, about offensive line play, but we'll kind of see. Like, I, I think that there is, to me, an encouraging thing about the offensive line is, and it's honestly related to Pukegate, it is the fact that it feels like Donovan Rayola is working them very hard. And I'm not talking about actually the, the number of pukes. I think it's the other comment that Frost made and it, it, it didn't get as much play. And it was in a different press conference. It was in a weekend yeah. press conference before that, when yeah. he said that sometimes they, he gets the offensive linemen for team periods and they're too gassed because of their individual periods. While you want them to become in better shape, that's how you get in better shape, right? Like you got to just keep doing it and you got to keep working them hard. I feel like that to me says that Coach Rayola, Donnie, he's got a standard that he pushes those guys to, and it's just going to be a little bit different, right? And so maybe this group doesn't start off the best. And if they can start off at average and then kind of go from there and get better, I think that that would be really encouraging. Like if we're talking about, remember that that part of the schedule you mentioned earlier um, today where, you know, when you get to that end of the year and you're playing those Big Ten West teams, if we get yeah. to that part of the schedule and we're saying, man, this offensive line is kind of peaking. They seem like they've gotten better. Like, when was the last time we were able to say that, right? I think that would be a huge thing. I think you have to view the offensive line as kind of a work in progress throughout the entire season and hope that a first-year head coach is the type of coach that can – that coach is the type that can go ahead and get them better as the season goes on. 
Yeah, and I and I, I completely agree with you with Puke Gate. Um, it was just yeah, it's not that. It's not the it's not no. the actual pukes. That's not, and I I wish that people like and I understand it. I totally get how we got there. Um, and again, self inflicted error. Like I I know it, but yeah, it's about the work and less about the pukes. I think it was the overall yeah. point. It was such an obvious exaggeration that it just turned into something that it need, didn't need to, but you are right. He is the one who said it. He started it himself, um, just needs to be more aware of his setting and, and what's being said, but in, in the year 2022. But um, yeah, I mean, Frost has said many times before that he's been impressed with Raiola and how he's working. And like you said, it, it's not about the pukes. It's it's about the 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 heart monitors that they wear, um, the that track that just the output, the physical output that the, that the linemen are wearing. Um, he's, he said that it's almost doubles what, what was being um, worked out and, and outputted a lot in previous years. So yeah, I'm just super. And to go along with that, the technique that everybody wants to know about Don, Donnie's technique, um, more firing off the ball. Um, I, I think that offensive linemen just do that in general. So I'm just curious to see what, what, what that looks like. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just going to be an incredibly important position group and, and year for the offensive line. It kind of a lot, I don't want to say everything hinges on the offensive line offensively, but I don't know. A lot of it does. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would definitely say that. And I think the, the other thing that a, a lot of things hinge on this season, um, specialist, right. Special teams, like we, yeah. look, we've seen, and this has been kind of, you can draw a direct line to Nebraska losing a handful of games based on special teams, whether it's kickoff returns, punt returns, sorry, bring up Michigan state. Uh, yeah. What a great defensive performance. I will always bring that up. Sorry. Uh, no and the extra right no first downs in the second half um the, the extra points that have gone awry and then it kind of bleeds into play calling when it comes to field goal range and all of that if both if Bushini and Bleak Road are as good as advertised and I think the best thing that has come out of camp really for that particular situation you've heard no illusions about competition really at that at those two spots you, you we've talked to both of those guys in the media um with, with various interviews and they've both been very good um you know Bushini the old guy yeah. talking about old man strength he's just an older guy with, with your know, wife in a house um, he's an he's, adult he's an he's adult an you just feel like you know even with his you know quote-unquote bad barbecue and skills um as he kind of laid out for us and having those specialist parties at his house that he's going to be a steadying force um it's a punter role, right? Bleak Road feels like a guy that's going to be good, um, at least from about 40 and in um, yep. for Nebraska, which is what they really need. And Bill Bush has talked about that. I think the best, and really it's just so encouraging for special teams that we just really haven't talked about it. Like at this point, I think that if you poll the fan base, they just assume that specials, the specialists are going to be good. And I don't yep. think you'll find many people that would disagree with that. I I'm right there with you because I this entire offseason I've just assumed that Brian Buscini and Timmy Bleakroad are going to be just complete opposites of what Nebraska had last year and that's probably wrong of me to do to expect anything given with what's happening yeah <laughs> I just yeah. I just feel it I feel like everything's going to be fine with the punting and and place picking so um yeah probably bad of me to do that but we will we will see um on Saturday if if everything goes right if if Bushini booms a, a 60 yarder and it lands inside the 10 yard line and they go down there and, and cover that thing, I'm going to stand up at, uh, um, at my house and, and give it a clap. I'm sure Scott's going to smile just like he, mm -hmm. he always says that he's going to do. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, I I feel very confident in, in Bushini and Bleak Road. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm right there lockstep with you on this one. Um, and, and so as we kind of look to wrap things up here, I kind of want to do this in a little bit different way. I want to hit, like, we're going to do a, a question here, and we want you guys to definitely participate in this um, in the YouTube comments over on the site at Nebraska.Rivals.com. It'll be a two-part question. One thing that gives you hope for this upcoming 22 season and then one thing that gives you pause we'll start with the hope and i'll start with you steve what's one thing that gives you hope for the 2022 season i really like mark whipple listening to him talk watching his pass offenses at pitt i really really think that mark whipple is an incredibly smart football mind and why wouldn't he be he's 40 plus years in the business he's been there he's done that he's seen just about everything that a defense um, can throw at him I'm very confident that he's going to have the correct play calls to beat what he thinks the defense is going to do. The question with that is, can the coaching staff get the players to the level that they can execute what he wants the play, the play design? Um, that That's going to be the biggest thing for me. But my hope is, I, I really think Mark Whipple is going to put his players in the best positions to be successful the only question is can those players execute it with all those question marks on offense you know it's interesting that was a surprise because we did not talk about these ahead of time so that that was a surprise to me that you went there and and now i almost regret my pick <laughs> which is it's not the same but it is on offense um i what the thing that gives me hope for this season is casey thompson's leadership so Casey was not voted a captain by his teammates and we can, you can either choose to read into that or not. I think that that's more to do with the team kind of getting together and unspokenly saying, we're not going to have new guys um, be the captain. He just got here, got here in January. And yes, I know what happened with Darian Daniels and all of that stuff, but I, that was a different, that could have might as well be a different world for, of, of Nebraska football era from what yep. it is right now. And so I think that that, I think that that was a big part of it. Seeing Casey Thompson talk this weekend and kind of talk about not just his kind of, you know, confidence or the way the direct manner in which he approaches things. And he talked at length about guys getting used to him and his leadership style. There's something that goes with that. I think that you can have a guy like that, at quarterback that really gets on players and earn their trust, even though he might be getting after them. So long as you know that that guy is putting in the work. That clip, and it's and it's up here on our YouTube channel as a short, if you go check it out, um, of him breaking down Northwestern's defense was incredible. You know, as a teammate of his, that he's putting in the work. So if he's getting on you about missing an assignment, he's been he's a guy that's actually put that in, and that's why he can recognize that. And I'm curious on how that new style of leadership on the offense, which is a total different departure, no shade to Adrian, it's a totally different thing than what Adrian was like. I'm curious to see how that plays out when the going gets tough for this offense. It was such a breath of fresh air to see, to hear a, a player just talk football X's and O's. I mean, that's just a love of mine. When, when Casey Thompson broke down that Northwestern is a four down front, primarily they're they like to play quarters coverage. They like to rotate into single high safety and cover three. Sometimes it's just cool to listen to a, a football player, talk football. And we don't always get that sometimes. Um, at, at press conferences usually it's really guarded stuff and we're talking about effort and execution and blah 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 but when they're actually talking about x's and o's like that my ears perk up and that was awesome from casey thompson one thing about that i'm sure chubba purdy and logan smothers could have done the exact same thing oh I mean, yeah they, 
yeah, if they're up there and just given the opportunity in front of a microphone, yeah, they could, yeah, they understand that Northwestern is primarily a four down front and they like to play quarters coverage and rotate into a single high safety. That's, that was awesome. But to actually hear Casey Thompson say it, he's confident guy. He's an extremely confident guy. Um, judging by some of the things he said, but, uh, yeah, it was just so cool. And I completely agree with you. I think that's a, that's a great point. All right. What's, what's one thing that gives you concern about this season? I am harping on this too much. That's the offensive line, Donovan Riella. Um, <laughs> there's just all five guys up there. I, I don't, I don't know, man. Um, but look, they're going to get, they're going to get their opportunity to prove me wrong. Um, I don't think it's going to be terrible. Um, looking at them, I, I think that there might be a, a better chance at them that that unit being better at run blocking than pass blocking. Um, so that's going to be really important too. And another thing with Mark Whipple, um, judging from his, what I think of him as a play caller, everybody looks at all the passes last year at Pitt. Um, but you know, his first day at, at a press conference here in Nebraska, he said that he's not just going to pigeonhole an offense and, you know, do, do plays that he wants to, that he wants to call just to call them. He's going to look at his personnel, identify what they're good at, and then call the offense based on that. He's, he doesn't have Kenny Pickett. I don't think, uh, I don't think Casey Thompson is Kenny Pickett, but uh, um, I don't think he's going to try to force Casey Thompson to be Kenny Pickett is what I'm trying to say, if that makes sense. No, that that absolutely makes sense. Um, and I think that the thing that gives me concern is another thing that we've touched on, which is meshing all of this stuff together. Like, I think yeah. that being able to just break, like, it just doesn't happen often. It's a reason why, um, it's, at least in this era, especially, and it's fairly new with the transfer portal era um, that we're in, that you really only have Michigan State as the example of a team that's been able to do something like this. And even yeah. that was, I believe, just transfers. It wasn't new staff or a whole new offensive staff. Mm -hmm. um, so Nebraska's bar is even higher to clear uh, for a program that struggled um, with being able to do those sorts of behind the scenes detailed things. I just feel like that's a big ask. Um, and that's something that will definitely give me concern all season long on how that manifests during the week when it comes to game planning, how it manifests on game day between the coaches, how it manifests with these players being, you know, as good as people hope they are coming in as transfers. There's just a lot of ways to go with that. Um, but before we get out of here, uh, give me a, give me a, a record prediction steve what what do you got for the record seven and five seven and five i i i almost went seven and five i did go six and six That's i was thinking I'm about go, six and six i'm gonna go six and six which would actually be a nightmare scenario um and but that would fit very well um with what's been happening around here with nebraska football because you just what do you do if they're six and six, if you're Trev Alberts, that puts him in a heck of a spot, um, even though technically that is a, a three win improvement and it would get you to a bowl. I yeah. don't know if that's the standard around here, even for a guy like Scott Frost. I would be curious to see what would happen in that scenario. But yeah, I'm going to go six and six. You've gone seven and five. It is There's video evidence of this. <laughs> um, and so we'll see how it goes. Right. Uh, but that's going to do it for this video here. Uh, make sure you like the video up, tell a friend, uh, subscribe to the youtube channel here at inside nebraska also go over pop over to nebraska.rivals.com check out all of the great content of nebraska athletics that we have their staff working hard keep you updated on everything going on and we will catch you guys later